Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. And welcome, welcome if you want to run with the Game Changers. I always promise you you're in the right place, and you know you are. This is one of our newest series called Game Changing HR Leaders, and if you're keeping track, this is episode number nine. We're rocking and rolling in here. Great topic today, creating a winning culture at work. So let me get started. Okay, the buzz today, I'm pointing at you, whoever, wherever you are. Admit it, you That's right, you may be part of the problem if you don't have a winning corporate culture at work. What? Am I accusing you? Well, maybe you need to look in that mirror and see. But you know what? Sometimes the culture is defined by top-down leadership. And you're saying, well, it's not really my problem if it's not working. But in order to fix it, I'm pointing at you again. You and every other employee have to contribute to rebuilding it in new and positive ways. Well, the question is, what's involved and how hard is this? Let's talk about some definitions here. A winning culture can be very simple. It could be maximizing an interaction at work. It could be finding joy. I know what a delightful word to use on a business talk show. Finding joy in discovering where your work complements or interacts with the work of your colleagues. Or it could be moving past your past victories. You know that's called sitting or resting on your laurels to explore new innovative alternatives for future success. So we have a couple of questions. If you're an employee, most of us are, how do we help create the future for ourselves and for our organizations? It is a joint effort. As leaders, and we know we have many leaders listening, how do we capture the hearts and minds of our teams to help us shape the best future? So much to talk about. And we have a panel of two experts today. They're so savvy. They're so smart. They're so tuned in. They're so ready to go. We only need two to explore this. So let me get started. Welcoming back a good old friend. It is Bill, Mr. Simplicity Jensen. Boy, that's a long middle name. He is the head of the Jensen Group. And Bill has sent me a quote we've seen before, but I love it. So perfect. He says, according to Pogo, we have met the enemy and he is us. Before Bill expands on this, Those of you who haven't been uh, watching the comics for a long time, Pogo is the title and central character of a long-running daily American comedy strip created by cartoonist Walt Kelly, who lived from 1913 to 73, and distributed by the Post Hall Syndicate. It was set in the Okefenokee Swamp, that's a mouthful, of the southeastern U.S. The strip often engaged in social and political satire through funny animal characters. I will stop there. Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, how are you? Doing wonderfully. Bonnie, you are so well-researched. I learn this (laughs) stuff every time I listen to you. Always. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, listen, I'm an insomniac, so I just go look stuff up all night long, Bill. Thank you, my dear. Bill, I love this quote, and, and it's so perfectly aligned. I usually ask the guests, tell me why you picked this quote, but it's so aligned to what we're talking about. I was pointing the finger at everybody about our involvement as leaders, as colleagues, as employees, maybe as founders and startup people, or as advisors or board members. We're part of creating a winning corporate culture. So how, what would Pogo say about this? Why is Pogo saying this in these words are so perfect? Bill Jensen, talk to me. Well, it's the same as every 12-step program begins with looking yourself. You know, it's every, <laughs> every meditation, every religion, everything that, is, that involves introspection always comes back to look at yourself first. And our attitudes, our beliefs, our personal biases, and those can be good things. Those things help us. But they, in a world that is so disruptive and so changing so quickly, usually the world around us is changing faster than our own attitudes, beliefs, and values. So the first place around looking for corporate change and culture is within ourselves, not outward. 
Now, when we say, well, let me start, let me back up here. Bill, the, the, the simple things I mentioned that can maximize workplace interaction, where your work interacts with somebody else's, where you get off your, your haunches and you say, we're going to go for new successes. Are these the simplistic ways of looking at a winning culture? Just a quick overview from you, or what are the hard things we need to work on, the more difficult things? Uh, the first place to start is with those simple things, you know, how you interact with your team, uh, all of the joy that you spoke about before. But the really, really hard things that you mentioned, there's really two. It's corporate infrastructure, which is uh, processes, procedures, and excluding technology and including technology, and how user-centered your technology is. It used to be that culture was just people to people. Now that everybody has a smartphone and everybody can design their own infrastructures, their own tools according to exactly what they need, we need to move more in the direction of being focused on empowering each and every individual through technology, not just the company. And that's the really hard work, being as user-centered and as focused on the individual as we are on the company. Thank you very much, Bill. Always a pleasure to speak with you. I hope you're ready to talk a lot because it's just you and my next guest. She's Sherry Ann Meyer. This is her series. Sherry Ann is the expert. The expert. Sherry Ann, it has to be all capital letters. The expert for human resources, business <laughs> processes. You, you've earned it, dear. For human resources, business processes, and technology at ASUG America's SAP Users Group. And Sherry Ann, Bill, you may or may not know this, but our listeners certainly do. Sherry Ann adores movie quotes. We've had so many from her and she is this time quoting Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland and here's the quote it's lovely if I had a world of my own everything would be nonsense nothing would be what it is because everything would be what it isn't I just have to stop there. I want to crochet that on a pillow, and I'm into pillows now. So <laughs> Sherry Ann, talk, talk to me, talk to me. What do you see? I love the idea of crocheting on a pillow. That's awesome. I might do that okay. myself. There you I'll go. I'll crochet those, so it'll have to be someone else who does it for us, Bonnie. Um, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I love silly things, and that's part of the reason why I always give you movie quotes. Um, I kid everybody and say, I'm really just that shallow that I have to give movie <laughs> quotes all the time. But um, I think that we take ourselves way too seriously most times. I think that everything can be simplified to a few simple things that we've learned along the way through childhood, through movies like this. And um, this philosophy that's expressed in this particular quote is one that I often challenged my own team with at work, um, was to say, like, let's just blue sky, like, let's get crazy, like, or take somebody's wild off-the-wall idea and expand upon it. You know, maybe there's a nugget of truth or wisdom in there. Um, and so I love the idea of the creativity that it engenders, but also I love the idea that, you know, let's think differently. It doesn't have to be the way we've always thought about things being done because those ways of doing things are often very, very complex, and we've made them complex. Interesting, Sherry Ann. What would Alice say about corporate culture? What would Alice say when she came out of the rabbit hole where she fell through into a fantasy world with peculiar anthropomorphic creatures? I think a lot of people would think their corporate environments are currently populated by peculiar, possibly anthropomorphic creatures. So what would Alice say if she knew that you were quoting her on a business talk show, Sherry, and here in 2015? What would she say about how much needs to be looked at as, oh, for God's sake, that's nonsense? What would Alice say? Any thoughts? You want to be Alice for a minute? Alice would say, um, "We, you certainly are working down the rabbit hole. That's what I believe she would say. You didn't just fall down there. You're working there. Okay, Bill Jensen, what do you think Alice would say? Great question. Uh, I would agree with Sherry that uh, we are working in the rabbit hole. And just like all heroes and heroines of all story, uh, she's traveling the hero's journey. And she would say, ultimately, it's up to you to choose which bottle to drink from, which rabbit to interact with, which path to take, 
which Mad Hatter to get involved with, which tea party to sit at. It comes down to deeply personal choices after you learn about yourself. Thank you very much. Some good inward-looking thoughts there. Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, I'm going to simply, I can't help myself, I'm going to simply ask you, you know the burning question here on SAP Radio, what are you drinking right now, Bill? Where are you calling from? What time of day or evening is it or morning? And what are you drinking? What's in your cup right now? Or what do you plan to drink after we're off the air? I am currently in Morristown, New Jersey, which, another cartoon reference, by the way, which is where Santa Claus was born, Thomas Nast, Thomas Nast, the Civil Civil War illustrator, (laughs) a few blocks from my house, drew the first image of what we now know as the Santa Claus, looks like the Coca-Cola Santa Claus. Uh, So he was born here uh, uh, in the 1800s. And I, in between swigs of Robitussin, I am drinking tea and honey. Well, somebody must have a cold or a cough. I think I heard you off air. Are you okay? I'm hanging in there, at least for the next hour, and then I'll go die. (laughs) Well, don't go die. Go talk to Alice. Go down that rabbit hole and get some love. Okay, Sherry Ann Meyer, where are you calling from today, and what are you drinking? I've got raspberry lime seltzer water. My daughter and I have been dieting for so long, and we started craving sodas again, and we found that seltzer is zero calories, and it's got some great flavors now thanks to modern technology. So that's what's in my cup today. And I'm also on the East Coast, Bill. Um, and a little jealous about your Santa Claus story. I'm going to have to dig up something that Pennsylvania is unique in to counter that with the next time we meet. Well, Sherry Ann, you're scaring me when you said all these wonderful flavors thanks to technology. I'm hearing the GMO people screaming, no, no, no. But are they good flavors? You know, it's funny because I laugh about everything we see in the supermarket now. There are so many different flavors. And it's really because science is able to create any flavor. I'm sure there's not real fruit in this seltzer water. I'm sure it's a manufactured flavor. Okay, we hope you stay alive at least for the next 45 minutes with us. Thank you very much. We are talking about creating a winning culture at work with two winning people. We've got Bill Jensen. His nickname is Mr. Simplicity. He's not feeling well, but he's a trooper and a champ, and he is with us today. And Sherry Ann Meyer, the sponsor of this series from ASUG. We're talking about creating a winning culture at work. If you have ideas, interesting ideas about what a winning culture means to you in your workplace, whether you own the company, whether you just drop in as an employee, employee, whether you're a manager who has to be there, we'd love to hear from you at hashtag SAP Radio. Even if you're not listening to the show live right now, by the way, it is Wednesday, November 4th, and I'm here in New York at 2.15 p.m. Eastern. Even if you're not listening live and you hear this on the podcast a couple hours later or months later, we'd still love to know how do you define a winning corporate culture. So tweet us at hashtag SAP Radio and Bill or Sherry Ann or I or somebody will answer answer you and see if we can get some good ideas here. So we have a lot more to cover, but we're going to give Bill Jensen a quick break so he can have that tea with honey and whatever else he's doing to take care of the sore throat. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I'm drinking my usual cool, clear water in a pretty glass. Today, it's a yellow straw, yellow for sunshine here on the East Coast. It is magnificent outside, and that's where I'm going to go after the show. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world of work is changing faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly human resources can adapt and lead through accelerated, ongoing change. A corporate culture that embraces differences and innovation is among the top winning strategies for business success. How can human resources shape such a culture in their organizations, one that is moving forward in step with business development, acquisitions, mergers, digitally demanding employees and customers, and changing workforce dynamics? Join our experts as they share game-changing ideas and strategies for leading business success through the next millennium. Game Changing HR Leaders is presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Visit www.sap.com.
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP, America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing HR Leaders. Here we are, and we certainly are speaking today with Bill Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N of the Jensen Group. He simply calls himself Mr. Simplicity. We're going to find out why. And Sherry Ann Meyer, the sponsor and regular, frequent, every week guest on this series. And news has it that Sherry Ann is renewing the series for 2016, and we are delighted to have you on board for Season 2. So, Bill Jensen. Let's simply start the roundtable with the following comment you send me in your notes before the show. You say, simplicity is power. Since the dawn of human history, the winners had things made simpler for them. The losers' lives got more complex. To create simpler companies, we need to understand the real dynamic behind simplicity. So, Bill Jensen, let's relate this to a winning corporate culture. Does it equate to simplicity? Talk to me, Bill. Absolutely, and uh, SAP was generous enough to sponsor research that I just completed earlier this year that talked about the essence of a simpler uh, company culture. But to, to, to get to the beginning of it, why is simplicity power, is we began the Industrial Revolution by simplifying processes and procedures and standardizing all sorts of practices, and it made everything easier for the company to get things done. Mm -hmm. And for 100, 150 years, we uh, managed through all that. But now that we are in the knowledge and service economy, those standardized practices and procedures are less applicable because every individual is making new decisions, new choices. So really the simplicity is coming down to how we communicate to each individual, how we give them information uh, to the way they need it, the way they need to hear it, how we create meaning and sense-making. So with simplicity is power. We all see this through, for example, our iPhone or our Android. Uh, you know, the smartphone created a revolution of all sorts of applications being able to be channeled through our phone and made it a lot easier to call a cab, to order pizza, to mm-hmm. uh, do our numbers, to do whatever we wanted to do in life besides calling and texting other people. So it really comes down to what I talked about at the top of the show, how user-centered are we willing to be? We, even if all technology stopped, we mm-hmm. have the technology we need right now to create very, very tailored information flows, but that requires the political and leadership will to be more focused on individuals, not just the company. And there's the rub. I there's the rub. Sherry and Meyer, thoughts on what Bill just said? I just love Bill. He's a man <laughs> after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, the industrial revolution is way behind us and we really need to catch up with, you know, what it is that employees and customers and businesses need today. Um I, you know, everything that Bill said is spot on. I think that, you know, SAP talks about simplicity and simple finance and simple products, but the key to what Bill just said is the user-centered interface, whether that's a technical interface or a person interface. And it's something that so many people have lost sight of. Even we, we talked, Bonnie, about millennials and about Gen Z people. Mm-hmm. Even they don't really get that you want to make things simple for other people. And, you know, I'll give you an example. Um, We're very used to, and especially my children are very used to having simple interactions with their cell phone and with technology to get things done. But even they don't often think about what they should be doing to make it easier for a customer. So we we live in a very me-centered culture, I think, in America. And if we could extend that focus to be external more, um, we would understand business environment of the future better. We would understand our customers better, each other better. Um, And one of the things I really, you know, my personal thing is Amazon. We talked about personalizing the experience and making it user-centered, Bill. 
I can't tell you how many times we're having a conversation here at home or with friends and we say, you know, where did they get that thing, that object that they used? Or how wouldn't it be great if there was something that did X, Y, Z? And I'm telling you, you can go on to Amazon and buy anything. It has definitely mm-hmm. changed the way that I shop and experience it, um, getting what I need. I don't run out to stores where I'm wandering through stores aimlessly looking for a particular thing that I want, and along the way I'm throwing 10 other things into my shopping cart. I go to Amazon. I have Prime shipping. I get exactly what I want. I get it shipped to my home. Done. That's the world we live in. I do both. I still go to the store, wander around, put 10 other things, and then I might still go to Amazon and research what I want in the first place. I'm a really good good consumer. I'm only teasing. No retail therapy for me. Bill, thoughts on how Sherry agreed with you? Anything you want to add to that? Uh, well, we're in, as they say, violent agreement. Uh, but I, and I think something that I would add from the research that I did recently, uh, you, you mentioned that I've had this moniker, Mr. Simplicity, for a while. That came from my first book, uh, Simplicity, which I wrote in 99 and 2000. And over the last 20-plus years, I've interviewed and surveyed over a million people all around the world focused on how do we make things simpler for them. And the research that uh, SAP sponsored earlier this year was a Venn diagram relating, you know, with three intersecting circles. And mm-hmm. what Sherry was talking about was one of the circles, it's the most value and engagement with least effort for, and what Sherry was talking about is customers. Then mm-hmm. there's corporate simplicity, most value and engagement with least effort for our company. And what I was talking about earlier, the third circle, is most value and engagement with least effort for each individual. And so far in the early 20th century, companies figured out how to make it do, how to make things simpler with the least effort for the company. In the last half of the 20th century, they got a lot better about making things better with the least effort for customers. We're on the cusp of a new era, which is making it uh, easier and simpler to achieve greatness with the least effort for every individual. Thank you, Bill. And I want to just stop for a second and ask both of you. I'm going to ask Sherry Ann first because she proposed this topic for us today. And again, simply put, excuse me, Bill, the topic is creating a winning culture at work. Sherry Ann, winning. That is that a subjective term? Is that objective? Is there a definition? If I look up in a book, maybe Bill's going to write it, maybe he already did, called corporate culture. What does the word winning mean? Is it in the eyes of, as Bill was talking about, the customer? Is it the individual? Is the management? Is it the ownership? Is it the shareholders? Whose idea of winning culture is the one that counts? And if not, and Bill, you know I'm a huge fan of Venn diagrams. Not too many people even remember what they mean. So I think you're even greater than than you may think you are because you and I both love Venn diagrams. But Sherry Ann, who's defining the word winning? Let's Let's level set. I know it's kind of late in the show to do that, but I want to know. No, that's a great question. I think it is subjective, and I think it gets back to what Bill was talking about, about things being personalized to each individual. So if you look at it from the corporate perspective, and then depending on who I'm trying to attract and retain, um, I will want to shape my culture to meet those needs. Um, If I'm looking at my current employee workforce, I'm looking at, you know, what makes my culture winning in terms of productivity, in terms of being the employer of choice, in terms of having employees who are excited about coming to work. Now, that, that's not true for every single company because some companies are just doing what they need to get by to get through a slump or to get through a transformation that they're getting through. So it is definitely personal to each company. It's also personal to each individual. So if I'm looking for what I might define as a job in a winning corporate culture, my mm-hmm. idea of that is going to be something much different than perhaps Bill's or yours, Bonnie. So I would be looking for an environment that thrives on teamwork, that thrives on no idea is a crazy idea. It is very personal. It is very subjective. And that's where I think you get back to circling back to the technology loop on this. How is it that employers will attract and retain employees in the future using technology to personalize things? Will they become Amazon-like? Mm-hmm. 
Great point. Bill, I'd love to have your POV on this. What does it mean to you, winning corporate culture? There's really two, super simplifying, there are really two big lenses we need to look at. One is the culture for everyone. It's all-inclusive of everybody that works in that environment, that enterprise, that institution. The other, um, I love when I fly out to San Francisco and I, I watch the news. They have microclimates out there, and they have the newscaster talk about, you know, 20 different uh, weather systems in a, in a 20-mile area. It's amazing to see it. But there's also microcultures. You, mm-hmm. as an individual, as a manager, may or may not be able to influence the organizational culture, but you can actually contribute to and drive your culture of your team, of the three of you, of the five of you, of the ten of you, that how you work together. So it's always important to be aware of things that you want. We all want to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves, and hopefully everybody who's listening is part of a culture where they're proud to be, that you know, company-employee uh, relationship. Uh, but you may not be able to control or drive that. You absolutely can control what your team does and how the people around you interact with each other. So the winning culture comes down to both your sphere of influence and control and what's beyond that and the greater good that you're all serving. Thank you. Very, very thoughtful answer, both of you. I, I just want to ask a question about how somebody interacting with a, with a company as a customer, as a client, uh, sherri and Bill, how we know if a company has a winning corporate culture. I'll give you two examples very quickly. Went to a, I'll call it a medium fancy schmancy restaurant with my mom last weekend. Great reputation. We got there just before the crowd got in, had a reservation. The waiter was so busy doing what I have no idea. He never offered us drinks. Everybody else had wine and cocktails. We were never given a, a, a drink menu. Took our order disappeared. We needed some extra gravy or something. Couldn't find him. We ended up working with the busboy for the next hour, and he was the one who got us everything. Waiter never came back to clear the dishes, never offered us coffee. We had to ask the busboy, could we please have a dessert menu? (laughs) On and on and on. And this is a popular restaurant packed to the gills. Everybody was having a great time. And, I mean, we were dressed nicely and we smelled good, if you're wondering. But other than that, I couldn't figure it out. Last night, we went to a local pizza-slash-Italian restaurant. The place was almost empty. We had a young waiter. Couldn't have been more than 23 or 24. We were wondering what's minimum wage now, okay? He had a full dining room. He offered us a double t- a table for four, not putting two little tables together, and said, ladies, would you like this? Yes, of course we would. We had room to spread out. He was so kind. He was so patient. He took our order. He filled our water. He brought us the bread warm. He did everything possible to make us feel welcome. When it was over, I picked up the check for mom, and I said to the waiter, I'm giving you a bigger tip than I normally would. And he looked at me gratefully and I said, because you just outshone the service I got at a fancy schmancy restaurant three miles from here with a fabulous reputation and here you are going out of your way. And I have to believe that he was representing the corporate culture of this little restaurant, which is a long-standing restaurant, but not fancy. Bill, any thoughts on that? Is that how we know if there's a winning corporate culture? Because one person makes decisions that impact your delight as a customer. What do you think, Bill? Culture is a framework that we've invented as <laughs> human relationships grew beyond family or little networks. Yes, it's exactly what you described. It is a personal relationship only extended that you mm-hmm. know if you go to that restaurant or to Disney World or where or to the Apple Store that you know you're going to get a similar kind of wonderful experience again and again and again. So it it is basically it is human nature. It is human relationship. It really is not complicated. It is mm-hmm. just be good to your fellow human being. It's the golden rule, not the rule of gold. And treat the other person the way you want to be treated, only when it grows larger than 10, 15, 100, 100,000 people. Uh, it needs to be trained. It needs to be developed. It needs to be nurtured. Uh, it needs to be evaluated so you can do it better. But it comes down to the, the basic human uh, connection between people. 
people. Thank you. Sherry Ann, I know you have a change in corporate culture story to share with us. Would you like to tell us about it? Oh, yeah, this is my personal story. I, you know, in thinking about this topic, um, we, you know, people often say, can corporate culture be changed? And I think that sometimes there are influences that do change the culture. My experience came back in 1999 when we first implemented the SAP ERP platform. And something I wouldn't have realized at the time that would influence culture. But looking back, at that time when we embarked upon that project, we were a global company, but we really didn't talk that much to our counterparts in other countries. I can't even say that I knew how to dial another country. Mm -hmm. Um, And through the act of having to talk to each other and collaborate and form global processes and make system decisions together, we became truly one company. Um, You know, Within a couple of years, we were wildly speaking to each other all the time. There were regular conference calls, the sharing of different cultures from different countries and different ways of individuals dealing with things definitely had an impact on our work, definitely had an impact on how people responded to work. I think it was um, very, very good for the company in terms of being eye-opening and being able to attack a global market. Um, but it was also very enriching for the employees. So, yeah, I think corporate culture can definitely be changed. Very interesting. Bill, any thoughts on what Sherry Ann just shared? Say we're violently in agreement. Oh, boy, we got to <laughs> stop this warfare. These skirmishes are yeah, killing find the something show. something we can disagree with. I really, that's I, what I, I'm trying to do. <laughs> I should have warned you, Bonnie, that Bill and I spent two hours on a one-hour interview once upon a time, so... Yeah, we can chat about it. I got it. it. Sherry Ann, uh, I want to want to talk about the term culture because I know this is important to you. Bill, uh, let's let me just go to Sherry's notes here and see what you have to say after we start. Sherry poses the question, should we drop the idea of culture? And she says, I don't think it's possible. But I'd love for you to to talk about uh, the, let's see, his name is John Trafagan, T-R-A-P-H-A-G-A-N. He's a professor, interestingly, in the Department of Religious Studies and the Program in Human Dimensions of Organizations. Wow, what a door title he must have in his office. Office at the University of Texas at Austin. He's also a faculty affiliate of the Population Research Center. So here's the quote, dropping the term culture from the lexicon of organizational and corporate consulting and research would be a good step in the right direction. Sherry Ann, agree or disagree with John Trappigan? And then I want to hear Bill Jensen's comments, please. Well, I, this, if you read this whole article, he builds a very good case throughout the article. But I don't think that we can drop the idea of culture. I mean, people, employees, young people are always looking for a company with a culture, quote-unquote. Maybe it's a different Mm -hmm. word, but an environment that suits them. Um, Certainly there's a lot of talk about women in the workplace and a lot of efforts underway to find, quote-unquote, cultures that are amenable to a family environment, um, whatever that means to someone who values a family environment. So... I think that there are certain definitions that we bundle together as being part of a corporate culture. Um, it may evolve or change over time, but I don't think it's something that you can do without. Um, the organization I worked with before was very type A, very responsive, um, you know, and that did them very well. Would it do as well in, in an organization that was like Disney and creating cartoons for a living? Probably not. Um, so I do think that there is a corporate culture in everywhere we go, and I don't think that I don't think the idea is going to go away anytime soon. Bill Jensen, yes or no? What do you think? We may change the term, but the idea, the concept, is here with us forever. It's it's humanity. It's part of who we are. It's culture is basically our values, personal, individual, as well as group, in action. That's culture. You know, whether you, you know, treat people the way you would like to be treated, uh, culture is how we treat each other uh, and how, it is re- how our values are realized. What I would say is it requires a 21st century update. As we move into the Internet of Things, mm-hmm. what we're going to find is our culture is going to be driven a lot more by the tools and infrastructure we build for each other. And whether we value the other person's privacy, whether we value the other person's involvement, 
uh, when I speak about culture at chief learning officer events and HR uh, senior executives of, of HR, I also talk about uh, a slide um, that I have, which movie do you want to be in? And I put up the uh, picture of Tom Cruise in Minority Report, and I put mm-hmm. up a picture of Iron Man. And where we are heading is we have to make a value-driven choice. Iron Man is like Google Glass. It has a heads-up display. You can, you know, everybody is given their own data, and they can decide what they want to do with it. And Minority Report was famous for pre-crime thought police. And that you could anticipate that someone would create a crime. And this is real. It's not futuristic. Uh, Chase Manhattan Bank currently has an app that they have all their traders go through. And traders who can, you know, cost them billions of dollars at a time have to go through this uh, training and this app to test whether or not they might possibly trade, you know, do illegal trades or skim off the top. So we are heading in this direction where data is being gathered by every single one of our actions. And the culture is going to be, are we going to use that to be create a police state? You know, for example, uh, Bonnie, my BMI, uh, body mass index, is probably higher Mm -hmm. than yours. If we worked for the same company, that measure would be used to charge me more for health insurance. Mm, we are going mm. to be moving in this direction and are, again, back to the common theme. Are we going to be the culture? Is Are we going to take, as leaders of HR, as the people-centered people, are we going to take a stand to make sure that those numbers, that uh, Internet of Everything data, those analytics, are being used to help I- each individual be their best? Or... Are we going to create a penalized state where they're used to enforce the be- what's good for the company, but not necessarily what's best for the individual? Thank you, Bill. And I have to mention that there's an article in today's New York Times under Editor's Picks. It's in the World section, and I don't know if either you or Sherry Ann has read it, but it certainly got my eyes open when I I, uh, opened up my iPad around 7 o'clock this morning. The title of the article is Neuropolitics, N-E-U-R-O-P-O-L-I-T-S-E-S, one word, where campaigns try to read your mind. Talking about what you just said, and, and I mentioned this on my previous show, The Coffee Break with Game Changers, about two hours ago, Bill, and one of the Yes, mentioned Tom Cruise and Minority Report. I'm not kidding you. Twice in one day. But here's just the lead into the article, which you, you really will appreciate. Technologies like facial coding, biometrics, and brain imaging are being used by politicians worldwide to try to measure their standing with voters. Go ahead and read it. Very interesting. Where a billboard you pass by would read perhaps how you're reading the message, your eye contact, your even your remotely, your pulse rate or your, your engagement with the sign and change the message before you continue to walk by. It's something they think will engage you more. Any quick comments on that? Neuropolitics, Bill or Sherry Ann, talking about changing the culture? Anybody? Are you shocked? That's actually not too surprising and yet scary. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think that the idea that politics is using this, well, first of all, demonstrates how much money they have to spend on their campaigns. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> second of all, it's sure, a whole Amazon-like thing. They're making the political campaign Amazon-like, right? Can I personalize it to you? Um, so That's right. For me, in personally, a, it's a non-Silicon uh, Valley sense. Culture is a technology. Culture is a tool. Yeah. And where it, like any tool, it can be used for good or it can or be bad. used for evil. You know, there have been, you know, societies that have, you know, destroyed rest of humanity based on their culture. Uh, so it really is the value-based decision around what are you using this culture, this organizational construct for. And what we found in the SAP-driven research is it needs to be much better at being balanced. Going back to that uh, Venn diagram, most companies are very good about being making it easier for the company. Most companies that are successful are very good at making it easier for the customer and simpler. What, where we need to get better is enabling the culture where it helps every single individual be their best, not just the organization as a whole. I like that a lot. 
Bill, I'm going back to your notes. We've got about eight minutes before we move into our predictions round when we take the cover off the crystal ball, whether I haven't said this in a long time, whether you keep it in the boat shed or the back of the car or on the roof or wherever you keep it, in the attic, the basement, I don't know. Uh, Bill, I'm looking at, uh, let's see. Oh, many business leaders are holding back the future of work because it comes wrapped in risks. How does this relate to our topic about corporate culture? Is that the future of corporate culture is risky and they're not planning? Uh, Give me some implications for this, Bill. Basically, the future is being held back by most senior executives because it it requires risks. It requires betting on a new innovation. It it requires betting on a new technology, betting on new ways of doing things. And uh, most senior execs that have a bottom line and and have quarterly results, it's like I need uh, to keep making those quarterly results. So it's the innovator's dilemma, as Clayton Christensen talked about it. And what I did for the last couple of years, I've, I've researched the future of work. The finding that you referred to came from that research, and the book that I had that just came out is called Future Strong. But what I realized in going through all of this is that no matter how we slice all of these topics, the future of work and your life is personal. What it comes down to is making deeply, deeply personal choices about who you want to be and how you want to live. So what I found as it relates to uh, the future of culture is it begins always with every single individual, not in terms Mm -hmm. of just what we would all agree to, how we execute it, like your waiter in the restaurant, but who am I? My team and I asked uh, 7,000 people around the world, what makes you, you? And what we found is the people Mm. with the strongest cultures, the people with the strongest leadership abilities, the people who were the best people, people had a great, intense sense of self and inner knowingness. And the other side of that is we came up with the 80-20 rule of inner knowingness that 80% of us think we know who we are, but don't. And we have only done 20% of the work. Thoughts on is the future wrapped with risks? I think it's a very colorful statement Bill has made. What do you see? Yeah, I love Bill's perspective on the future of work. Um, it is going to be personal, and I think that gets back to that Amazon-like thing, and it made me start to wonder, what will recruiting look like in the future? What will performance appraisals look like in the future? Everybody wants to have all that data that they can analyze to put somebody into a certain spot, but it really comes down to, at the end of the day, is how you want to live. I love what Bill said about that, and I don't think that's an easy answer. I think it changes over time as we learn and we grow. Um, and so then perhaps our desire for where we want to work and the type of culture we want to work in or how we want to shape our own culture of our team changes as well. Thank you very much. Bill, any thoughts on what Sherry shared on what you shared going back and forth? We're, again, in great agreement. It's, uh, and this is great prep. We will be seeing each other in person at a, at a conference in, uh, next week, I think. Uh, so it's just a great dress rehearsal for how we're going to share the same ideas next week. I like that. I have one more thing from Bill's notes I want to cover before we move into our predictions roundtable in about three and a half minutes. Bill, you say consumerization of IT must be the model we move to to be more user-centered. Isn't it already, or how much farther do we have to go on the consumer? And if you want to just uh, define that in your own terms, Mr. Simplicity, please. Sure. Uh, What that means, again, is like we talked earlier, like your iPhone. Everything is organized the way you want it to be organized. But when we get into corporate infrastructures, uh, vacation forms, processes and procedures, uh, which... A uh, meeting app can we use to go to meetings virtually? And all the rest, it's organized around the company's needs, not the individual's. So what we need to do is to get much better at uh, you know, training and development. I was just recently at a, keynoting at a uh, CLO conference, and I spoke about tailoring uh, training and development to every single individual's needs. And everybody looked at me like I had three heads. 
it was like they were so corporate centered in we need to be more efficient in making the company more efficient. They never, it, they're still a long way away from focusing on John and Mary and Jane's individual needs. And yet we, that's the consumerization of IT, that we have that capability. Thank you. I'm very sorry for the echo there. That was me on two phones at the same time. Sherry Ann, consumerization of IT, uh, what do you see? Well, consumerization of IT is being done by the tech companies. It's not necessarily adopted by the business yet. Um, Ah, And I think where it is adopted, it's adopted by the core business, not so much in HR. And I think what Bill's just been talking about is how do we get HR to um, treat employees as if they're unique, valuable resources that we can develop to our needs and to their needs as well. Um, and we are a ways off from doing that. I think HR is always the last organization to get any financing for anything they want to do differently in the tech area, and it's probably very difficult for HR leaders to see what Bill's trying to say. I can imagine them looking at him with their eyes crossed and wondering how will we get there, but I do think it is absolutely (laughs) essential. Thank you. Bill, I caught your cough. I'm sorry about that. Bill Jensen, uh, we're going... Oh, my goodness, it's time for predictions. First of all, when you do your predictions, Bill Jensen, I want to know, do you love the year 2020 as much as I do, or do you have something else in mind? And uh, any future books coming up from you? So, Mr. Simplicity, I'm going to give you a whole two minutes. That's a fortune in prediction time here on Game Changers Radio, as Sherry Ann knows. What do you see coming down the pike for the word, the term, corporate culture, for how we are each part of it, for all kinds of things we've talked about during the show today? Talk to me predictions bill jensen go 2020 sounds great the toughest challenges two tracks first the toughest challenges that companies and cultures will face around competition the biggest competition will not be somebody outside of your company the biggest competition will be competing for everyone's time and attention we are so overloaded right now Uh, Microsoft recently did a study that we all have the attention span of a goldfish. And I usually, when I do this at uh, talks, I put up a slide of a goldfish. And I add, uh, Time Magazine also talked about a study that where 9% of millennials are texting while they have sex. Oh, so this Bill. Is how, this is oh, how, Bill. This is how bad our attention span has gotten. We can't uh, even focus. Or how bad our sex We cannot even focus on our lovers for more than a half a minute at a time. Oh, my God. You just stopped the show. What? Sherry Ann, before you do your predictions, you have to respond. I don't know whether we're saying with disgust or, or realization of the reality check. Sherry Ann, you have to respond to that, please. Oh, my God. It, it, he's not far off the mark. He can't be. I mean, not that I personally do that, but I'm telling you, I, I spend time with people all the time who are, and I do it too, you're constantly on your cell phone. You're constantly connected to somebody else. We're never in the moment. Um, I've talked to somebody this earlier this week who said every Wednesday night they have a, a dinner night. It's no texting, no TV, no, te- no text. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a really great idea, and we really need to adopt that as a practice and policy in the workplace. I can't tell you how many times we've multitasked to the nth degree in companies that we've missed important points or had to redo things. So, um, sadly, I, I think he might be correct on that statistic. <laughs> Bill, what, what percent did you say? I'm, I'm tweeting this, Bill. I'm sorry. Nine what percent. Did- Nine percent of millennials, and I'm not even spelling out the word. I'm so shy. Nine percent of millennials are texting during S star X. That's all I'm going to put in there because <laughs> I just want to keep this really corporate and clean. Wow, very interesting. I wonder if that's going to catch on in the older so age groups. The other yes. track that I wanted to mention, Monty, separate Please. from the headline grabber, of from the research that we did for the future of work, the millennials and Gen Zers are going to look at company culture completely differently than us old farts on the, currently on this phone call and this interview. Um, the lens for the future of work that they are going to use is they see companies like an app. They see companies as a vehicle to achieve mm-hmm. their goals and dreams, a vehicle. 
and a vehicle that can amplify their passions, achievements, and company, and excuse me, and community relationships beyond what they could have done on their own or elsewhere. So basically, I have I'm an, a potential employee. I have dreams and goals. Mm-hmm. Will you help me achieve my dreams yes. and goals faster and better? than either me starting my own company or me going to go work for your competitor. So they're going to look at the company culture as to how well, not just all the things, you know, that we would already include, but how well it can help me achieve my dreams and goals. Thank you. And Sherry-Ann has dreams and goals that now will have to be compressed into exactly one minute of predictions time. So, Sherry-Ann, I'm giving you 60 seconds. What do you see coming down the pike in terms of corporate culture, winning corporate culture? So that's culture. A, my prediction, then my desire and fervent hope. I would hope that by 2020, HR has more than a seat at the table. Um, we talk about leaning in all the time, and I really think that um, we understand the business needs. We've done very well at that. But I think that um, HR has to have that uh, uh, the drive at the table to drive the strategy. They have to be the ones that are helping the business understand that most important resource, which is their people, and how to uh, motivate them, how to get to what Bill says is going to be important to them, because I absolutely see that in my own children with what Bill's saying. Their jobs, my children's jobs, are a vehicle for them to get to their dreams. They're, it's not the be-all and end-all. And they're certainly looking for things that are personalized to them. And that's what HR is going to have to work hard to do in the business is to help the business understand how to personalize the business experience to meet the needs of the talent that they need to have in their workplace to succeed. Very eloquent. Thank you very much. Bill Jensen, Mr. Simplicity, it's simply been a pleasure, as always. I hope you feel better. My cough stopped, and I wish the same for you. Sherry Ann Meyer, always a pleasure. Sherry Ann, quickly, what's coming up next week on Game Changing HR Leaders? Any idea? Next week on Game Changing HR Leaders, we're kind of continuing sort of a culture discussion. We're talking about change in the organization and what that means, um, especially in terms of people and managing your people and uh, having the right workforce at the right time. Ah, very important. Thank you very much, Sherry Ann Meyer, Bill Jensen. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out to Justin and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air and trying to keep us on the air. It's been an interesting day. Here's my call to action. <laughs> Fasten your seatbelt. And I don't know if Pogo ever had a seatbelt, but Bill, you can talk to him about this. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP and run simple. Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and Twitter handle R-E-C-H-A-R-G-E-H-R. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.